Oh, I just want to say thank you so much for inviting me down here. It's been an amazing week. It's, uh, it, it's just amazing how I got down here even. It's a story that in and of itself how, I mean, I wasn't pursuing coming down here. And yet God opened the door and, and it, it's just amazing. And I'm, I'm so grateful to meet quite a few people through the couple seminars I was at. And, and I just praise God for that. But as you notice in your bulletin there, I, I mentioned I gave away a little bit of my my message there. You realize there's 2,350 verses in the Word of God that talk about money and possessions. Now, it's it's the second most talked about subject in the Bible. Number one is God Himself, but because there's so many because there are so many verses regarding money and possessions, I think that indicates that this, is, this stuff is really important to God. And it's not because the stuff is important, but I think it's important because the stuff, how we deal with this stuff, indicates our heart condition. And we're not talking about high cholesterol or you know, high blood pressure here, okay? It, it's an indicator of our heart condition and, and what we think about God. And how we deal with God in our own heart. Now, you know, people have an eternal soul. And this stuff is just going to rot and decay. And that's why it's just so important. God puts people first. Now, and that's in God's economy. And that's what I'm going to be talking about is God's economy versus man's economy. In man's economy, I'm number one. That's what we're taught. We look out for our own self-interest, our own convenience, on our own you know, just our own self-worth, right? That's what we are taught. But that's not the way things are supposed to be. Now, I've, I'm here today because I've, I've gotten to the point where I am mostly operating in God's economy now. And I say mostly because, yeah, I'm still lured, I'm still tempted, I'm still drawn into, my own, into that man's economy where I'm thinking about my own self-interest. But I spend most of the time in God's economy now, understanding and living out what God would have for our lives. So there's this tension that exists in our lives. There's this tension that's always there. Man's economy versus God's economy. And there, so what I've done is we've created this handout. You've got it there. And you can see on there we've got the opposing money philosophies and we've got the opposing economic forces. These are the things that are causing tension in our lives. Now I'm going to start with the opposing money philosophy philosophies and the number one source of this tension is who is your master who is your master now by definition our master is the one we serve right would you agree with that your master is the one you serve it's the one other people see you serving how we live how we live our lives from day to day shows who our master is you know billy graham's credited with the quote show me your checkbook and your day timer, and I'll show you who your master is. I'll show you who your master is. What, is your, what does your checkbook reveal? What would your checkbook reveal? Who is your master? Now, if we're operating in God's economy, our checkbook should reveal that God is our master. Matthew 6.24, No one can serve two masters, for you either will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. You know, Jesus doesn't say, ah, you know, it's a little bit difficult, but, you know, you can try it. 
or, you know, he doesn't say, well, if you work hard enough at it, you can do it. He says, no, it's impossible. You cannot serve both God and money. Well, what do we do? Well, we try and straddle that line. You know, God's drawn that line in the sand, and we just try and straddle it. But God says, no. If you're straddling that line, you're serving money. You're serving wealth. God, that is your master. All right, what's the object of our affection? Well, the world says it's money. You know, think about money for a minute. Just think about it. Okay, we spend, we spend years going to school to learn how to earn money. All right? And then we get a job and we spend hours working at earning that money. And then with the four or five, six hours we have left in the day that we're not sleeping, we're trying to figure out how to spend the money. It's got a hold on us, doesn't it? I mean, money, it's, it's, it's on our minds. It's on our minds. Well, if we love more than money more than God, here's the result from 1 Timothy 6, 9 and 10. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For, those, for the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. And some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Look at the first part there. It's not gradual. We're not just going to drift away. Pursuing money is going to plunge us into ruin and destruction. And look at that next verse too, the second verse there, verse, um, verse 10. Probably the most misquoted Bible verse that I've ever heard. What do we usually hear? Just straight money, right? Money is the root of all evil. Well, money, money isn't the problem. Money's neutral. Money's built this building. It's the love of money. And, let, and let's face, let's talk about what that, real, what that really is. What's the more common term for the love of money? Greed. Get down and dirty here. It's greed when we love money. See, we need to keep free from the love of money so we will love God more. We've got to love God more. Well, why do we have this thing called income? How, how come we've got income and where does it come from? Well, man's economy tells us we've got it because we earned it. We worked hard at it. You know, I pulled myself up by my bootstraps, and I, and I worked hard, and I've got it. Well, I've got a baseball analogy here, but I hear basketball or maybe pro football is a little more, uh, from, you know, more popular down here. Any Yankees fans in the crowd? Oh, there's a few Yankees fans, yeah. I'm sorry, I was rooting for Texas. <laughs> I better get off sports, though, or I'm going to lose you all probably. No. Um, <laughs> but Alex Rodriguez, you know, what his last contract negotiation is, $28 million a year. Does he earn that? Does he work that hard? I mean, granted, those baseball players work hard, but $28 million, yikes. You know, that was a pretty extreme example, pretty extreme example, but I think we've got the same mindset. I think we have the same mindset, you know, We've, we've gone to buy something, and that voice inside says, man, you know, I've worked pretty hard. I've worked pretty hard for this. I deserve that. Well, if in reality, what we have been given has been given to us by God. Deuteronomy 8, 11 through 18 says, Beware that you don't forget the Lord your God. Otherwise, you may say in your heart, My power and, my strength, and the strength of my hand has made me this wealth. But you shall remember the Lord your God. For it is he who is giving you the power to make wealth. 
Now, do we have any gardeners or even farmers? Are there any farmers on this island? <laughs> Maybe small ones? Okay, yeah. Any gardeners in the group? Well, as a farmer, as a gardener, you know, you, when you plant a crop, whatever that crop happens to be, you look at the back of the seed pack and it says, okay, we plant so many seeds per foot. Or, and it's the same for me as a commercial farmer. I grow wheat up there in eastern Washington, you know, several thousand acres a year of wheat. And it's the same for me, though. I, you're looking for a certain plant population, certain number of plants per square foot. And it's based on the nutrients that are available, the expected rainfall, which for me is a lot less than you guys. And then it's also based on the plant and how it's designed to grow. Okay, so I planted this my first year of farming, 1984, 85. I planted this crop of spring wheat. Man, it, was, it just looked terrible. There was a, it was a very poor plant population. And, and what made it worse, it was right by the road, and so all my farmer friends got to drive by that all-growing season. Man, that was hard on my pride that year. Harvest came, though. Harvest came, and lo and behold, we cut the wheat, and it went above my average. It, it yielded above my average. I was a believer, and God drove home so clearly the, the truth of this verse from Deuteronomy, that he is the one who create, creates wealth. It is from him. Well, what is the reason for our wealth? That's another good question. Well, some of you are probably saying, wealth? What's wealth? I don't, I'm not wealthy. Well, you know, as I'm talking about wealth throughout my talk this morning, I'm not talking about millions and millions of dollars here. Let's, let's compare ourselves to the rest of the world. You realize the median household income in the rest of the world is $1,700 a year. $1,700 a year is the median household income. That's about $140 a month. If you've got $20 in your pocket right now, well, we're going to pass the plates and you need to put it in. No. If you've got 20 bucks in your pocket right now, you are wealthy. You are wealthy by the world's standards. Well, what does the world say we're supposed to, that wealth is for? Well, it says, you know, it says we, so we can live independently. That is what the world's telling us. Man's economy says you've got that wealth so you can live independently. And especially so we don't have to listen to God and so we don't need God. That's man's economy talking to us. Well, that's totally contrary to God's economy. God says he's given us this wealth so we can help others. The best object lesson God gave us comes from concerning this topic is from Luke 12, 16 to 21. And then he said to them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, Oh, what shall I do, since I have no place to put my crops? Then he said, Ah, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns, build larger ones, and I will store up my grain and my goods. And I'll say to my soul, Soul, you have many good thing, goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease. Eat and drink and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you've prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. See, God doesn't give us stuff to raise our standard of living. He gives us this stuff to raise our standard of giving. That is the reason we've got this stuff. You know, one thing I want you to take away from this passage for sure is from verse 17 there. He's, you know, look at what it says. It says, he began reasoning with himself. 
You start talking to yourself, you better sit up and take notice. That is a bad thing, you know. Proverbs 16.2 says, All the ways of man are clean in his own sight. That's the problem. But the Lord weighs the motives. It says we are so good at justifying what we do, aren't we? I mean, I am. We're just so good at justifying what we do. But we've got, but we need to, that's why we've got to study God's word. We've got to study God's word. We've got to find out what God's saying is the right thing to do. You know, it's much, much, much better to do it, do it God, God's way. Man's economy shows us the purpose of money is to insulate us from problems. Okay? Could that be the main motive of people who want to gamble? You know, running, going to gambling houses, uh, playing the lottery, the multi-million dollar lotteries we have in the United States, some of them are huge. They're looking for that ba- big payoff. That's what they're saying to themselves. Man, just that next one, that next payoff, then my problems will be solved. That's man's economy. You know, but if we're honest, if we're not gamblers even, you know, if we're honest with ourselves, we probably said that a time or two to ourselves. You know, oh, only, you know, if I just had a little bit more, or if I just had this, things would be better. John Paul Getty, oil tycoon from the beginning of the prior century, he was the richest man of his time, one of the richest men living at that time. Someone asked him, how much money is enough? His answer was, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. You know, God tells us the, God tells us the purpose of our, of, is to accelerate the fulfillment of his purposes. That's why he gives us this money. In other words, it's to be used to glorify him, to bring people to Christ. Matthew 6, 31 to 34 says, don't worry then saying, what shall we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things for your heavenly father knows eagerly seek these things for your heavenly father knows that you need these things but seek first his kingdom his righteousness and all these things will be added to you so do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will care for itself each day has enough worry trouble of its own so acquiring money shouldn't insulate us from problems that's not the idea that's not why we should should accumulate money and you know, you notice too that the New Testament is full of examples of, of teaching us how we should be sharing our money, helping others. And it doesn't say, in, in any of those scriptures, I've searched through them, it doesn't say, well, you know, start doing this when you make your first million. You know, start doing this when your 401k is, or your retirement funds are, are established and complete. It doesn't say that. We're to be start giving and sharing right now. Money can only insulate us from life's problems when we give it away. When we give it away. And the reason I say that is because I believe in the, in the principle of sowing and reaping, straight from the scriptures. You've probably all heard that. You sow sparingly, you, you reap what? Sparingly, yeah. You can, money will only insulate us from problems when we give it away. All right, now turn the hand out over, and then we're going to look at some of these opposing economic forces. All right, in man's economy, our purpose is to find personal fulfillment and happiness. That was what I was talking about in the beginning. You know, the me, the I generation, the me generation. Well, how do, how do we see this manifested out there? You know, we got the four-day work week up in the States. 
Um, people living for the weekend. They're just living with the weekend. TGIF stands for Thank God It's Friday. You know, they, oh, you hear that all the time. You know, we got boats, we got jet skis, we got fancy cars. People just living for themselves. Well, what God really has designed us for is to be trustworthy stewards. Matthew 25, 14 to 19 is the key verse on, on stewardship in, in the materials I teach. And you may remember this passage commonly known as the parable of the talents. And what we've got is a story here. We've got a manager, um, an owner of a, of a business. He's going to be leaving, going on a trip. He's going to be gone for a while. So he calls three of his stewards in. And to one he gives five, to one he gives two, and to one he gives one. Oh. Now, well, first of all, we know these, the talents where he's talking about money because to the third one later in the passage, he says, you know, you should have at least invested this in the bank and drawn interest. Okay, so we know he's talking about money. We don't know how much a talent is for sure, but theologians generally agree it's a lot of money, a lot of money. So he's given each of these five, um, two, and one. Well, that's telling me, you know, he, some of you may be better money managers than me. And I think God's going to give you more. On the other hand, he, he may think I'm better in some areas than you, and he, maybe he's going to give me more than you. But then it goes on to say that, that the, the, man, the owner gave to each according to his own ability. He gave each to his according to his own ability. Wow, that should be starting to set us free. We don't have to compare ourselves to our neighbor. It's at God's discretion to whom he gives, and he gives each according to his own ability. We can trust God. He's going to give us as much as we can, as we can handle. Now, as the, the story goes on, the master leaves, and then he comes back, and the, man, and the stewards come to him, and they give an account. And, and the first one, he says, Master, you gave me five. I earned five more. Here's ten. The second one says, you, Master, you gave me two. I earned two more. Here's four. And to both of these servants, he says, Well done, good and faithful servant. They didn't have to earn the same amount. They didn't have to bring in the same amount. They just multiplied what he gave them. And boy, man, I'd sure want the Lord saying that to me. How about you? I mean, don't we all want the Lord saying that to us? Well, then we consider that last servant, though. He had the one, and he says, Master, I, I, I knew you were a hard man. I knew you reaped where you didn't sow. And so I, I was worried. I hid, the, I hid this talent. But I kept it safe, and here it is. Here's this one talent back to you, sir, nice and safe. He says, you wicked and lazy servant. He used that word wicked. See, God is not soft on these financial matters like we are in our society. He said, you wicked and lazy servant. You should have at least put it in the bank and drawn interest. So that should be starting to give us some financial freedom there. 1 Corinthians 4.2 says, It's required of a steward that one be found trustworthy. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. I think that pretty well sums it up. That is our job as, as faithful and trusting stewards of the Lord's stuff here on earth is we're to just take care of it and use it according to his will. Let's continue on there. Man's economy, our goals are self-focused, generally for our own benefit. All right. Now, give me um, what are some common financial goals out there? Anybody want to yell any out here for me? Help me out. Give me a break from talking. No. Uh, buy a good house. Yeah, that's a good goal. Pay off debts. Another good goal. Get an education. Yeah, good goal. How, 
What's that? Savory retirement, another one, you know. Oh, sometimes, you know, in our society right now, it's often a, a goal just to only have two kids, you know, so you don't have to pay for too much there. How, go to college, we heard that one, get a great job. Now, there's nothing wrong with those goals. And goal setting, there's nothing wrong with setting goals. Not a problem with that. But how many of our goals are spiritually oriented? You know, instead of just financially oriented. Will these goals help you satisfy God's will? Help, will they help you complete God's will? Now, nowhere in Scripture are you going to find an exact quote that says, Thou shall setteth thy spiritual goals. That's not in there. You're not going to find that. But, but you'll find Psalm, things like Psalm 1-3. Blessed is the man, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Psalm 119, in, it says, Blessed are those who observe his testimonies, who seek him with their heart. See, one of our goals should be, according to those verses, our goals, one of our goals should be closer to Christ. That should be one of our spiritual goals. You know, there's no all of a sudden in our spiritual life. It's not, we're just not all of a sudden going to be better stewards of God's stuff. It takes time. It takes time. You start by setting those spiritual goals, which leads to spiritual maturity, which just, you know, leads us on this journey. We, no one ever arrives. We just, it'll just help us progress on this journey to be better stewards. Well, how do we define success? Okay. Success according to the world. I, I, like, I like Winston Churchill's definition of success. Came across this a few, few weeks ago. He said, success is the ability to go from one failure to another with no loss of enthusiasm. Okay, now if I said to you, you know, Mr. Taylor over there, he is a good businessman. What are some characteristics or qualities that you would, that you would be identifying in his life and how he operates? What are, what are some things you would notice about him? If, he's a good businessman, if I said that. Honest, yeah. What else would you see? Treats his employees right. That's a good one. Integrity, yeah. Do you think he'd be rich, maybe? Probably have some money, huh? Do you think he'd have influence over others? Probably. There'd probably be a lot of people that respect him, yeah. yeah. Maybe he's an inventor, things like that. You know, you guys, you guys are extra spiritual because you guys came up with the good spiritual ones first. <laughs> but, you know, when the world looks at people that are successful, what do they usually base it on? That's that exterior achievement, right? That's how the world defines success. Well, how does God design, define success? Faithfulness. You know, he might, be the, he might have the largest net worth in the, in the country, maybe the most well-known person, in the city, but they, this person, the successful businessman that the world says is successful, is a failure unless he's spending time with the Lord. You know, is he a good father? Is he giving? Is he humble? Is he honest? Does he have integrity, as many of you mentioned? You know, God doesn't care if we have a million bucks in the bank. He does not care about our bank account, period. You know, he just wants us to be faithful stewards right where he has put us at every economic strata. 
Every place in the economic, um, in the economic strata. Remember, this is a testing ground that we're in. Luke 16, 10 says, Jesus told, told us, He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful in much, and he who is unfaithful in a very little thing is unrighteous in much. Be faithful in that little bit that he's entrusted to you. Just be faithful in that. And then through God's faithfulness, he will provide the success. He will provide more stuff for you to manage. All right, according to man's economy, what is the return on life energy? Well, in man's economy, it's stuff, right? We work hard to accumulate this stuff and these possessions. You know, but that stuff's going to rot and decay. It's going to be gone. Another return on life energy is leisure. Oh, man, we see that. We work hard so we can, you know, take six months off or become tenured at a university so we can take a, a year sabbatical. You know, it's so we can enjoy the good life. A while back, I was watching the Food Network. Okay, okay, sorry, guys, I admit I watch that once in a while. But um, I watched pro football before that, though. Okay? Um, <laughs> the, um, I was watching the Food Network, and I, they had one of the series I like to watch is the, the Food Network's, you know, introduced their favorite food. Well, this one happened to be their favorite salty food. And I didn't recognize, I didn't know who this guy was. I, I didn't watch it that much. But he, his favorite salty food was caviar. Okay, so he was at this caviar bar. And they, they panned across, they showed the menu. and showed how much it was for this plate of caviar. And it was, you know, it was, I think it was six crackers. Yeah, it was six crackers laid on this plate with, a, with like a tablespoon of caviar, different caviars on each one, okay? $102. $102. Okay, and so he's sitting there, sip, you know, eat, taking a bite of this caviar and explaining with way too many words, more than just, yum, that was good. <laughs> you know how that goes. And it's like, he gets to the end, he's sipping his little, you know, his little glass of champagne, and he says, this is the life. I'm going, buddy, you're missing it. You know, paying, paying $17 per tablespoon of food is not the life. That is not the life. It is not the essence of life. You know, in God's economy, our return on our life energy should be providing eternal rewards. God says, Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, but where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Matthew six nineteen twenty one. All right. Now suppose your 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 true home is in Italy. All right. Now I've I don't know much Bahamian history. Is Italy okay? I know you guys have been conquered by some people through the years and stuff. And like Spain's probably bad, right? <laughs> but but is Italy okay? <laughs> Let's say your real home is in Italy. Okay, you're just here for three months. You're working here, and you're earning money, and, and you're sending it back to your, to your home, all right? Now, one of the rules when you took on the job here, this temporary job, you realized you're not going to be able to take any possessions back to Italy with you. You can't take any possessions back. So while you're here staying in the motel, 
Are you going to buy fancy tapestries and hang them on the wall and buy fancy, you know, antique furniture to, to furnish your motel room? No, you're not. You're going to send everything back. You're going to leave it in cash and send it back to where your home is, where your real home is. See, as believers, this is not our true home. This is not our true home. And we need to be willing to send our treasure on ahead of us by giving, by serving. That's how we get the true treasure. we got to send our treasure ahead, and it'll be waiting for us there. All right, let's talk about what the world says is significant. In, in man's economy, it's a person's wealth or net worth, mostly. You know, you, guys, especially, we meet each other. Oh, it's like, hi, what do you do? What do you do? You know, that's, that's just how we, you know, that's just kind of one of those things that kind of makes us significant. You know, suicide is rampant in India right now. It's just rampant. Um, $160,000 suicides over the last 10 years. In fact, there's one province in India where they've outlawed outlawed a certain dye because that was the poison of choice. See, these guys, they're getting these microloans. They get a, bad, a crop failure. They can't pay off the loan. And, the, and then they're, they just feel, you know, they feel terrible. And, and they're killing themselves over money. Over money. It's, it's terrible. No, God wants us quickly, quickly to move to the other side, to, to God's economy, where it says, what makes you significance is being God's child. That is what gives you significance. It doesn't matter what your net worth is. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us. Romans eight sixteen to 18. We're his children. If we're his children, we're his heirs. That means everything's his. We're going to eventually have everything as part of his kingdom. We don't need riches and power to be significant in God's family. We're significant because we are his child. Because we are his child. Well, what drives or impresses you? Well, in man's economy, in man's economy, Satan uses the things that impress us to motivate us and drive us. That's how he works. If you're impressed by the things in man's economy, they're going to define what you think is success. They're going to define who you are. Now, remember this situation described in Mark 12. It was verse 42 to 44. It says, A poor widow came and put in two copper coins, which amount to a cent. Calling his disciples to him, he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury. For they all put in out of their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she owned, all she had to live on. See, Jesus called the disciples over. He saw this woman, he called the disciples over, and he said, this woman is important. This woman is significant. He was impressed with her because she was willing to give it all. She was willing to give it all to Christ. Now, the last contrast I want to make is concerning our emotional state. 
Now, I often struggle with this in farming. I mean, the market has gotten, the, the market for wheat and a lot of commodities has really kind of been on a roller coaster. And boy, you know, the wheat price is down 50 cents. It's like, oh man, how am I going to provide for my family? You know what? Oh, I lost all that money. Or the wheat price is up 50 cents. Oh man, I'm just the most happy-go-lucky guy around, you know? Well, you know, as we move from man's economy over to God's economy, we should be experiencing contentment. We should be experiencing contentment. Our emotional state shouldn't be dependent on our circumstances. Now, let me explain how I got there. Now, does anybody know what this is? We got. Oh man, I'm starting to drool. Oh baby, <laughs> that is a Case International Steiger, about 400 horsepower, 450 horsepower. I can't see the numbers on there quite, but. Oh man, if I had that tractor. <laughs> now I say if I had that tractor. I got a fairly big tractor, but it's not that new. But if I had that tractor, do you think I'd envy this guy? No. Why wouldn't I envy that guy? What I've got's better, right? What I've got is way better. Way better. Yeah. I would be content. Because what I have is better. See, and that's what God's telling us. Hebrews 13.5. It says, make sure that your character is free from the love of money. Being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. Those treasures can disappear in a moment. In a moment. There is nothing better than that relationship with Christ himself. God is offering us the best, the best. So the more quickly we move from operating in man's economy to operating in God's economy, the better off we're going to be. The more peace and the more contentment we'll have in our lives. Would you pray with me? Lord, man, we are just so in awe of you. You own it all. Help that, to, help that understanding to infuse our lives. Help that understanding to... Um, just help us to be ready to let go of what we have if you need to use it somewhere. Help it to let go of our finances, to be giving, to be generous, to be sending that treasure ahead to our real home. And then when we, if, if there's anyone here who is in a tough financial position too, Lord, help them, help them to understand that you're with them. You're with them to sustain them. Help them to seek out help and, and to Seek out guidance in getting out of the situation they're in and help them to put their finances under your, your guidance and leadership. And we just praise and honor you, Lord, for what you do for us every day. Help us never to lose focus and understand that we want to be operating in your economy. Amen.